Coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss Can't Have Your Cake and Scam It Too. The Scammer Gets Scammed. Next up, Who's the Boss? Which organizations or entities are actually in charge of authoritative name servers? And of course, our fun game, Two Truths and a Lie. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 141, recorded on Monday, December 12th, 2022. I'm your co-host, Kelsey DeGrinch, that stole your PII, and I'm sorry, LaBelle. With me co-host Tim, Colonel Bilko, Helming, and last but not least, special guest, Sean, expert whiteboard cleaner, McNee. Well, welcome to our jolly holiday version of uh, Breaking Badness. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> I'm very happy to be here, and I do enjoy cleaning whiteboards. It's <laughs> <laughs> It's very therapeutic, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> now, did you feel okay, the same way about chalkboards? Chalkboards? No, no, no. That's, that's a whole different... Yeah, the, the chalk and all of that. No. That's an art form to get those really clean. I mean, you know, you you wipe it down and it looks so black and perfect. And you're like, man, I really did a great job there. And then you go out in the hall for two minutes to talk to somebody. You come back in the room and it looks like you barely did anything after all that water dried off. I mean, it's just it's sorcery to get those things really clean. The big challenges of our time. But you know, sure. as an expert whiteboard cleaner, you know, Sean, you could share the tip in case people don't know this uh, of how you can remove Sharpie if somebody accidentally, because this has always happened, right? With with busy whiteboards, somebody comes in there with a Sharpie on the whiteboard, and that seems like <laughs> a really bad day. Oh, it's terrible. But the trick is you write over it using a regular dry erase marker. If you write deeply, right, you actually see the Sharpie getting picked up by the rest of the whiteboard marker, and then you can just wipe it off, and it's all clean. Wow. It's magic. It's, it's kryptonite to Hot Sharpie. Tip. <laughs> this is, okay, this is reminding <laughs> me of something tip. that happened earlier this week that gave me some major, uh, it just brought me back um, to the younger days, but there was, we were at a pottery shop where you you pick pre-done pottery and then you paint it and then they throw it in the kiln right and <laughs> they had the vis-a-vis pins that you would use on like an overhead projector that you could use to write on the pottery because it would it would burn off i guess oh, when you right. do that whole process but man i just felt like my forearm get hot and i could just see all of the marker all over my palm if anybody else recalls that feeling in the, in the overhead projector days before we had whiteboards, I guess. I don't know why we were doing that. Just to, to shame people in front of large groups of their peers, I suppose. Oh, those were the days. I remember <laughs> using those transparency sheets for some kind of, like, printing onto them to do some sort of interesting things, but I can't remember what they were. And they might not have been nefarious things, but I, I don't know. This is what we're talking <laughs> about, so they probably were. 
Oh, Tim, the undercover prankster. <laughs> I was just thinking the other day, though, speaking of pranks, um, somebody was telling me about they have Wi-Fi enabled outlets so they can turn them on and off. And all I could think about is when our previous colleague, we plugged your monitor into an outlet with a remote on it and i just saw you across the office we would turn your your monitor off and then you would check to see if there was some sort of severed physical connection i just saw you holding on both sides of your monitor and just looking <laughs> you know it was just you, we had a great you view think i would have caught on sooner than i did <laughs> to be fair he did get an awful lot of people in the office in different ways. He did. But he did. But yeah, I was one of his favored targets, I think. Well, based on your response to the situation, I really can't blame him. It was quite it was quite funny to watch <laughs> unfold. Cuz of course your first thought is like it's something that I've done. I'm going to go try to fix it myself. Uh, well, but then yeah, it know, took a he, while for you to get frustrated, too. It was impressive. Once a troubleshooter, always person. a troubleshooter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you were turning it off and on again, just not on purpose. That's right. That was... <laughs> oh, golly. Too funny. Yeah. Oh. Well, shall we Should we have some fun talking about what's been going on here the last week or so? Yeah. We, From it's Chikari? definitely better than not having fun talking about it. <laughs> it's hard not to want to do the Grinch, you know, the entire time we... We talk about security, but that hold back. Um, all right, well, let's let's dive into our first topic of discussion, which is can't have your cake and scam it too. So on cybercrime forums, user complaints about being duped may accidentally expose their real identities. So Tim, Tim, Tim. Cybercriminals were hoping they'd have honest transactions with other cybercriminals, eh? Uh -huh. So can you tell us a little bit about why someone might, or what someone, excuse me, might find in these cyber criminal forums? <laughs> yeah, you, you really sort of felt, feel sorry for these folks. They're just looking for an honest deal and they're getting fooled. Oh, what, what's that you say? You don't feel sorry for them? Yeah, me neither. Um, so generally on these forums, you can find all kinds of illicit goods. Um, and one way to think about this is if you think of a cybercrime as running on this kind of a timeline where the earliest stage of it is preparation for whatever the breach or incursion is going to be, and then it gets executed, whatever actually happens in terms of this breach. And then at the far end is why they're doing it, whatever the ill-gotten gains are themselves, whether that's money or intellectual property, etc. you know. So on these forums, you can purchase like kind of any way, any of the stops along the subway line there, right? So, I mean, you can purchase zero days in order to compromise some kind of system to initiate a breach, or you can buy phishing kits also to get things kind of started, or, you know, if you need tooling to help you with persistence and lateral movement, et cetera, and those kinds of stages, well, you can get that stuff, or, you know, you can just cut out all that messy stuff and just buy bank account credentials or stolen software and, uh, and then, you know, you can also find um, on these forums advice and counsel and technical support and all of that. And I'm sure some of that is really good advice on how to get better at defrauding people. Like a Dear Abby column, sort of? <laughs> yeah, they, they probably have it. 
<laughs> Wowza. YBBA. It's the, you know, the underground version. <laughs> yeah, we talk about this a lot on the podcast about these as a service, put whatever you put the um the A A S um <laughs> at the end of <laughs> not gonna pronounce that. Um it it's a it's a typical business. It's you know, all those slack Aus. messages. Everyone knows that. Aus. It's the, it's the European. Nothing wrong with Aus. that. <laughs> what was um I'm trying to remember which organization their Slack messages were publicized in this in this calendar year. I can't remember who it was though off of the top of my head and it was just amazing to watch all you know excuse me office politics play out in a criminal organization yeah. in such a way. Oh this was this was the uh Ryuk. Oh that's right. Group, right? It was yeah, Ryuk. That, yes. That dropped like almost a year ago. Right, and, and we yeah, got, the most, we, yeah, we got our reucks over. Yeah. <laughs> well, to me, the most surprising thing was just how like ordinary so much of the conversation was. Yeah, it was almost being run like a business. Exactly. Exactly. Criminals are like us. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, <laughs> Tim, yeah, it looks like maybe an Amazon or an Etsy. There's a place to go, and you feel like you didn't get the product or service you thought you were getting. And yeah, so... you know that crime lord that you're uh, you're seeing on the forum. <laughs> they get dandelions in their lawn too. <laughs> so, are these these are called arbitration rooms? I think is there any reason to believe these ever functioned as expected? And by arbitration rooms, I mean that place you go when you need to to vent about to an arbitrate. experience and provide feedbacks. <laughs> Um, so actually, yeah. <laughs> yes, there, there is reason to believe that they have sometimes functioned as expected. You know, as our friend Taylor is fond of pointing out, there's no honor among thieves. But keep in mind that one of the axioms of the modern illicit online economy, like we're talking about here, is it's basically just the upside down of the legit economy with all the trappings that go along with that. So like I mentioned, tech support and customer service and probably red tape and, and whatnot, too. Um, so, but all of this means that criminal enterprises have an interest in keeping their customers satisfied, just like legit ones do as well. So now in the big picture, everyone involved in the underground economy has a stake in its proper functioning. So yes, uh, these things can sometimes work the way that they're supposed to. But having said that, the authors of the research point out that these uh, arbitration rooms certainly do not guarantee that the injured party will find the redress that they are seeking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you, I like to think that they have those little bumper stickers, like how's my driving, but it's like, <laughs> how's my credential harvesting, you know? <laughs> well, as they drive down the information superhighway, I'm sure you can see a lot of those. <laughs> oh, we don't credential harvest at more than 60 miles an hour. One of those. This vehicle That's is. Right, there's a governor on this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, monitored for speed. Oh, gosh. So what, you know, this leads us to the next question here, which is what kind of scams are scammers pulling on other scammers? Scammers on scammers on scammers. Um, yeah, I also wish we could down. see the reviews. Yeah. Scammers all the yeah, way down. No doubt. Uh, so maybe our research team can get us some screenshots of those reviews. We'll have to ask them about that. That would be that would be fun to see. So 
All right. So yet again, to invoke this idea that the underground economy is just a dark mirror of the above ground one, you can see the same kinds of things. So like you'll have buyers that didn't receive the promised goods after they forked over the cash. So they might receive nothing at all, or they get some kind of, you know, crummy thing that doesn't actually work the way it's supposed to. And, um, Sometimes it's the seller that gets scammed. Like, so there was one that was mentioned in the article about a scammer that sold a Windows kernel exploit for $130,000, but they didn't receive that $130,000. They instead, they got a big story about how, well, the buyer was just testing the code and they'll pay once they've proved that it works and so forth. And they just kept stringing them along. But I think my favorite one uh, had to do with this game, which I personally have never heard of. It's called Axie Infinity, some kind of a crypto NF NFT type enabled game. So Criminal A wanted a fake copy of this game with the intent of stealing the legitimate users' crypto funds as they started to play. So they bought that fake game on one of these forums, but sad trombone, wah, wah, the fake copy contained a backdoor, which then stole the stolen cryptocurrency. Oh, such a bummer for them. <laughs> Wowza. And Tim, your use of forking over made me ask the question, What what is the origination or the origin excuse me of that idiom and so i looked it up and it apparently is a slang term from the verb to fork which is underground slang for picking someone's pocket using only two fingers resembling a two-tined fork dating from the first half of the 1800s the term occasionally alluded to turning over something other than money but is the monetary version that survived. So it's such a perfect idiom to use in such a circumstance of like the pickpocketing. Well, Anywho, do you, I never, are, are yeah. you not surprised that I do extensive academic style research in prepping these stories? Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> I was, I was in a dark, dusty <laughs> library lit only by candles with monks scribing things off in the corner as I researched <laughs> the microfiche in the background. Sources for what kind of idioms to use in this uh, podcast. Beautiful. Well, you're going to have to fork over all that research, Tim. <laughs> well, <laughs> as, as soon as I can get the uh, get it printed on the Gutenberg Press, I'll hand it over to you. <laughs> well, that got dark ages. That got... <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh... <laughs> Well, is there maybe some silver lining here? So do scammers scamming scammers help defenders? How are these forums helping bad actors get cat? Yeah. So, well, it seems that remembering that these are people who grow dandelions in their lawns too, when they get ripped off and they want to recover their ill-gotten goods, they get a little bit ornery, a little bit emotional maybe. And so when that happens, guess what? Their OPSEC kind of goes out the window, um, whether it's because they're mad or they're just really focused on, uh, you know, getting their money back or whatever it is. So they've been leaking personal information as they go through these arbitration processes and whatnot. So, you know, leaking crypto wallet addresses and email addresses and victim names and source code and stuff like that. So, you know, we're so familiar with the idea uh, around here at Domain Tools of these pivoting investigations. It's not hard to imagine that if you're an investigator into these criminal activities, you can pivot on these data points. 
and profile these poor aggrieved criminals and figure out more about them, including right up to their actual identities. And or you can also find out more about uh, who and what they're connected to. So all of that is useful for law enforcement and security researchers. But also, you know, some of this can help provide insights into how a variety of these schemes work. And that's there's lots of kinds of defenders that can benefit from that. Tim, would you say that agitation is also a tool that's in a defender's toolkit. <laughs> Seems to be working in this situation, not from no the doubt. defender's side, but um, yeah. one must first agitate, then pivot. Um, <laughs> step three, profit. Wow, uh, fascinating. So as you coined the term slop sack, right? Mm, in in these types of circumstances. Perhaps, yes. Yeah. Ah, mm. Yes. <laughs> well, with the prediction that came up actually in the predictions webinar that both you and Sean were involved in, I think just last week, what is time Mere at the time ago. we're recording this podcast? Mere days ago in front of a beautiful fireplace hearth um, in the Domain Tools office. Uh, but uh, a major point of conversation was the looming recession in 2023 and the impact this might have on cyber criminal action. So do you think that will create an increase in scammers also being scammed as like a meta prediction, mm -hmm. if you will? I, I do actually. So I think that as we march inevitably toward the heat death of the universe, by which I mean entropy, by which I mean the gradual decay of ordered states into disordered states, uh, there's likely to be more chaos in the underground as well. And desperation breeds crime, we all know that, and there's no reason to believe that that doesn't apply equally to the criminal world itself. So what might be more interesting to watch, though, is whether some kind of underground economy law enforcement, which I put in quotes here, is uh, is organized to fight this stuff. And, you know, there may that may already exist. I don't know. I, but it'll be really interesting to kind of dig into that and see if that becomes more of a thing. That's an HBO show in the making right there. Right. Bad cop. Fight crime <laughs> amongst crime makers. Yeah. So, Tim, you're, you're saying about organized crime online? I am talking about organized crime online, correct. Wow. This, this strikes me as, as the possibility of there being you know, a stratification of people on these online forums, those who are in the know, in the crime units, and those who are not, and those who are not might be more susceptible to getting scammed. That's Well, yeah. They might. And, yeah, and actually, I, I like, I'm, I'm liking this idea that they, the underground cops start to come along to, uh, to patrol this stuff. And we, there should be in one of the hacking movies should be sort of an underground cop versus a real cop and what their interactions look like. The mole people, we'll call it. The mole people. Oh, the mole people are fascinating. <laughs> I know a podcast that should do a, a, a story on the mole people. Is it it's, not, it's not this podcast. We, do, we don't have enough. <laughs> like, we, can, we can do, I mean, we're good at digressions, right? But I mean, I think that would be a bit more extensive than we probably want to do. Maybe that should be how much our unofficial public tagline. I don't know how much cyber yeah. there is among the real mole people. I mean, it's hard to get a signal down there. <laughs> well, that's maybe the mole people have created the best infrastructure 
Uh, maybe it doesn't even, you know, leverage DNS down there. I don't know. Oh, segue, segue. Segue, segue after oh, this we, quick I break. We probably talk hoodies though, right? Before oh, we, we should. I, you, this, this mole people conversation just really took my brain in a different <laughs> direction. Now I'm dead set on Googling mole people. Uh, it's been a while since I thought of the mole people. Anyway, okay, so Sean, that hoodie or goodie scale, right, from zero to 10, 10 being a very, very bad situation, zero being neutral, and then not to you know, bias your answer here, but we do the, the opposite, the underground hoodie rating, if you will, is the goodie rating. The warm cookies of the security space. Gin- Go ahead. Gingerbread yeah. cookies this time. Gingerbread. Oh, oh, oh. You know, I, I don't have a lot of sympathy for those who go on underground forums to find sketchy goods or services and end up getting scammed by them. But I suspect that the real big players in this space will still be able to do whatever they want to do without fear of getting caught. So it's going to be the newcomers or, you know, other, you know, script kiddies looking to get superpowered. So I guess I'm going to give this uh, about a four, four gingerbread cookies out of 10 in terms of goodness. It's kind of what I got. Oh man, Very I love nice. gingerbread cookies. I yeah. I typically leave this podcast pretty hungry. I feel like one delicious <laughs> treat comes up on average every podcast. <laughs> well, whenever we do stories that are involving you know things that we think are more good than bad, you're especially going to have that problem. It's so weird. Whenever I see good security news, it's like a Pavlovian response my mouth just starts to taste very bad. And I'm like, where are the chocolate chip cookies? <laughs> Super unhealthy. Um, okay, Tim, over to you. What would you rate this at? This it's I, so I can see two ways that this could play out that are sort of opposite for, for us. Like in one sense, I can imagine that maybe this forces them to up their game and get better at, uh, you know, they'll realize that their OPSEC is slipping and, and whatnot. And so maybe they clean up their act a little bit and this makes them better at what they do. And then, so that'd be on the hoodie side. And then on the goodie side, I agree with what Sean said. You know, I, I think it's awesome seeing that, that some sad trombones are getting played for scammers in the, uh, in the underground. I like it better when a legit world person scams a scammer and gets their money that way. But, um, but I think those things cancel each other out. And so I'm going to go, I don't know if I've ever done this before, zero, just nothing. Just do nothing. We even, oh. Can we even do that? Do we even know how to do that? I'm just going to put zero out of 10 and it's not goodies or hoodies. It yeah, just that's is. A, that's good. Yeah. No, no units defined. <laughs> no value. No cookies. No cookies. No cookies. <laughs> True. It is kind of null cookies. That's, ah, oh, I love it. That's really funny. <laughs> what were you going to say there, Sean? No, I just, uh, I, I kind of agree with Tim's, Kim's nullness on this. Um, I, yeah, it's, it's an interesting take to have both good and bad potentially come out of this. So yeah, I'm interested to see where it goes from here. Do you want to stay with your four gingerbread cookies then, Sean? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I'm, I, I, I'm hungry Thank for goodness. cookies. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with that now. 
because I do believe it will cause some angst amongst people in the space. They may be concerned about, should I go with this you know, supplier for my crimeware services or not? And if it, if it causes that much extra friction in that system, I'm all for it. Here, here. Well said. Well said. I'll cheers a cookie to that. A warm gingerbread cookie. All right. Well, after this quick break, when I furiously Google the mole people and cookie recipes, we'll be right back for our second discussion here at Breaking Badness. Stay with us. Well, hello there, Breaking Badness listener, and we hope that you are getting into the holiday spirit because that's when we're recording this particular episode of Breaking Badness. And if the Breaking Badness crew happens to be on your Christmas list and you're wondering what the heck you should put in our stockings, well, how about this? If you would do all the like, subscribe, review type things in your favorite podcast platform, we would love that. And maybe tell a friend or family member or somebody that you're acquainted with who's interested in InfoSec about Breaking Badness. Well, we'd be mighty appreciative and that would be all the holiday gifts we would want to receive. So thank you to all of you from all of us. And now let's get back to the show. The mole people. <laughs> there's a there's a documentary mm. on that oh. which I actually never watched, but I always I always thought about that when I was riding the subways in New York, you know, because there are all kinds mm. of interesting nooks and crannies down there, and I I suppose they're scary, but I think from the time I was a really little kid when I used to live there, uh, I thought this is really interesting. Like it would be kind of cool to explore around down here. I didn't this know as much about the rats that lived there back when I was mm. a little kid. The rats and the moles are kind of like the um, the sharks and the and the jets uh, and the jets. You know, yeah. there's right? some some Dad. animosity there. Dad. There's a lot of stuff going on, especially. <laughs> but neither of the groups like loud sounds, and that's where it gets really difficult. You know, the snapping. They need to find their own version of a snap, and that's. That's actually the crux of the follow-up documentary. Um, it's hard to it do looks that when like you don't have opposable thumbs. That's that's where they get you, you know. Um, but I'm Googling this, and it looks like the mid-1950s were a time where the mole people were of high interest in pop culture. There's this film, The Mole People, um, terrifying monsters from a lost age. And then there's actually a, a headline with an image Superman and the Mole People, 1951 review when it was cool. Um, oh, pop culture, comics, pro wrestling, toys, TV, movies, and podcasts. And it's yeah, it's um, I'm assuming Christopher Reeves holding a mole person, but maybe that's be. not maybe that's not that Superman. I mean, 1951 um, is a little pre Christopher Reeves, but we can still picture picture it. You know. Yes. Yeah, those anyway. were the PC years. I'm excited to see what kind of targeted ads I receive after this search this could be interesting um okay anyway it's time to move on to our next article who's the boss so our second topic du jour covers the idea of who owns the internet so researcher jan shaman shared at ICANN and in his most recent blog on this topic so, Sean, I'm going to pick your brain on this. It's fun when we have guests talk about research 
that seems to really excite them and your submission on what you wanted to discuss today felt like our episode with Kelly Malloy, who picked up a New Yorker article on natural language processing or NLP. So what excites you about this research? Well, it's DNS. It, DNS makes the internet work. And, you know, Domain Tools as a company, we kind of care about DNS, both active and passive. So it's kind of important to talk about. It's I also want to do DNS. like, yep. yeah, it's, it's DNS makes the world go round. Uh, but, you know, our friends at Spam House actually first brought this to our attention. Uh, they were at the ICANN DNS Symposium where this research was presented. And then they sent us a message being like, hey, this is pretty important. You guys should check that out. Also, as a side note, you know, we have a link to this blog post, but there's also a video recording of the talk itself, which you can all go in and watch if you want to. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of excited about it. Well, we're excited to hear that you're excited about it. Um, so let's talk more about uh, Jan's blog post here. He mentions the internet is held together with duct tape and WD-40, um, which I feel like somewhere my dad is smiling, imagining duct tape being the solution for the internet because duct tape solves everything. I think for most dads, that's their perspective. So can you elaborate on what he means by that for our audience? Oh, it's not really duct tape and WD-40. There are, in fact, servers across the world that are making the Internet run. Having said that, uh, metaphorically, yeah, it's, it's duct tape and bailing wire and WD-40 and, and all of that. And you have to the be concern careful when, here you're is, doing, when you're holding the Internet together with those things because the WD-40 can actually negate the stickiness of the duct tape. So you have to be really precise. Mm, good point. Yeah. Uh, but the concern here is is really one about the difference of the theory about how DNS works and the practice about how it's actually being implemented. And spoiler alert, um, as it turns out, only a few organizations slash companies really control a lot of what's being returned in DNS queries that people make every day. And this consolidation of power can be quite concerning. For example, what if one of these companies goes offline or out of business? Uh, what about their relative geographic locations around the world? It's, it's something we need to think about as people who care about the future of DNS and the growth and viability of the Internet overall. I thought the Internet was just that black box with the red light on it that Jen was holding from the IT crowd. Is that not what could It's also full of pipes. <laughs> tiny, yeah, the, tiny the pipes. IT crowd was a documentary wasn't it <laughs> oh golly okay well shaman shared that he needed to request access to some gtld zones which is generic top level domains for those who are curious and was granted some but denied others what's this process like for for gaining access and why wasn't he able to acquire everything he needed now, first of all we should Talk for a second about zone files. Um, zone files themselves are a complete listing, a definitive listing of all domains that appear in a particular zone, or uh, roughly speaking, all the domains that are list linked to a TLD. So for example, .com being a TLD, all the domains appearing in .com would be in the .com zone file. So it's like the, the phone book for .com. 
Uh, it's listing the relationship between domain and its IP addresses. So much like a phone book, you look up a name, get a phone number. Here you look up a domain, and you can get its related IP addresses. Now for all GTLDs and newer TLDs, ICANN requires access to these zone files. It's just kind of part of the listing that, that ICANN says, oh, you want to spin up a new GTLD? So for example, .bank, .accounting, you know, all of these kinds of newer TLDs, you have to have the zone files. For older TLDs, that's not necessarily true. And specifically for domains that are run by countries, known as CC TLDs, so these are the two-letter ones, like .fr for France, .ca for Canada, and others. Each country decides what its policy is, and they don't have to make the zone files available if they don't want to. So in this research, um, Jan had to limit the work that he did to only the zone files that he was able to publicly access, which cut out all CCTLDs, or most of them, and he was able only to use GTLDs for his analysis. Now, very serious yeah. question here, Sean. Yeah. How are we going to explain zone files to Gen Z who have never once in their life seen a phone book? <laughs> Would that be like a Yelp? But the, that gets confusing. That's good. I've thought you know, about that it's not a too. rating like, system. How long how long can we keep using that phone book metaphor? Like if I it's your my contacts list. About the yellow pages. Yeah, it's your contacts. That's what it is. It's the contacts list in your But phone. those are known. Those are known entities you use anyway. I mean, that doesn't really matter. But yeah, your but contact But from the standpoint list. of linking a name to a, a number. Yes, yeah, that's it true. It kind of works true. from that, at yeah. least as far as that goes. Yeah, there we go. Okay. I was just, I was curious about that as we're talking through it. Um, yeah, that was a fantastic description, by the way, Sean, of the convoluted reality that is zone files. And um, Shaman looked at the different name server records and found that they were nicely diversified, but they were registered under one domain. And both findings he described are not surprising. Can you share why exactly those aren't considered not surprising for listeners? Just moving on here from our top level domain discussion here to, to name servers and domains. Yeah. So just for... For everybody to understand, you know, a name server is a server on the internet where you can make a request and say, hey, here's this domain. Please tell me the IP address so I can go look it up. And DNS runs by having this hierarchy of name servers. And you kind of talk to your local name server. If they don't know the answer, they go talk to somebody else. It kind of goes up all the way to these magical root name servers that everybody knows. So that's kind of the, the magic of how name servers work here. Uh, but when you look at how different organizations and companies manage their DNS, they don't actually use their own private name servers to manage this DNS. They tend to use service providers or other people to professionally manage their uh, DNS records. So for example, if you are deployed in AWS, you might use AWS's Route 53 for managing your DNS. Um, Azure provides an offering too, Say you're a small website and you're running on GoDaddy, right? GoDaddy provides DNS services for you for the domains you bought from GoDaddy. There are other uh, possible solutions if you use Squarespace or Wix or WordPress and it's all manager hosted by them, then your domain uses 
their name servers to manage your domain. There are also other dedicated DNS service offerings that just provide DNS or consolidation of services. So Ionos uh, in Germany or NS1 are a couple of examples of popular solutions there. But Cloudflare is, in fact, kind of king of this space and manages a lot of people's DNS that way. So what you're having is all of these companies, all these individuals with their individual domains, but their name servers are being hosted on a smaller and smaller fraction of name servers out there. Interesting. And what, I mean, in your mind, what are the implications of that reality from a defender's perspective? Well, from a defender's perspective, it gets very interesting. So if you have one name server that's got hundreds or thousands of domains kind of linked against it, and you try to go in and try to figure out, are domains being hosted on the same name server related to each other? Well, if you've got all these random domains from all these different people linked to the same name server, because you're looking at a GoDaddy server or a WordPress or Wix server, then you have no confidence that these domains are actually related to each other. As opposed to a smaller name server, that's one maybe you run yourself or one that only has a few dozen domains on it, then you may have more confidence in saying, well, if I look at these different domains all being run off the same name server, maybe they have some relationship to each other. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Thanks, Sean, for that. That's helpful. Helpful context for our listeners here. And to just zoom back out, get out of the mosh pit, back into the balcony, if you will. So Shaman in his presentation and the blog that's actually linked here in the show notes, he went up, he really talked about how he went about his research. So it would probably be interesting to folks listening in to summarizing what his process was and what he actually found through that process. Yes, good research process is critical. Um, so you, other people can replicate the results later. Yeah, so in a nutshell, um, help, I'm in a nutshell, crack, crack. Um, he went and grabbed <laughs> his own file data from all the GTLDs and then looked up who was providing name server records or all the domains in those zones. He aggregated all that together and then looked at the companies who own these domains um, and saw what was happening with those name servers. So who are the companies that own these name servers that are being referenced by these individual domains? And then he looked at what are the IP addresses that these name servers themselves are on and who runs that IP space. So there's a difference between the company that runs these name servers and the actual IPs that are delivering them, which kind of an interesting look. And there's a hint, the owners of these domains are not necessarily the ones that are providing the services. People are outsourcing the name server services themselves. Um, Jan does this uh, as a global overview of all domains that he could run over. But more interestingly, he does it again for just the top million most popular domains as pulled from the Tranco list, and as well as even smaller and smaller subsets of the most, most popular domains. And it's kind of fascinating to see that change from all domains to top million to top 10K to top 100, et cetera, et cetera. Wow, that's really interesting. That seems like a, a methodical approach. And like you said, that's, that's critical to look back and identify those trends later, right, Sean? And yeah. how that stuff is shifting. <laughs> Good research process is near and dear to my heart. 
I like reading research process while I'm eating my gingerbread cookies. And then afterwards, you clean off the whiteboard, and all is fine in the world. Um, <laughs> Indeed. Is there a Calm app section that fits those descriptions for you? Like, uh, is there ASMR for the sound of like the whiteboard eraser on the whiteboard? Kind of like, side like a nice smoothing motion. I think it would sound mm. kind of like waves rippling on a shore, but it's just a nice cloth going against a whiteboard. Yes, very calming. <laughs> Noted. Noted. <laughs> well, I think, Sean, this brings us to a central question, which is a bit of a spoiler for those that did not yet ingest or absorb this presentation. But who does control the internet? And does it come with ramifications? Yes, it's uh, very few companies and organizations have tremendous influence over DNS. So number one, VeriSign. So in addition to them operating two of the root authority servers, of which there are only 13, uh, VeriSign also controls a critical domain, gtltservers.net. And those that uh, name server domain by itself is home to 80% of all GTLD name server records because it's all of .com and .net and a few other the really, really big players. So if you take out VeriSign for any reason, the internet is going to have a really bad day. Uh, but beyond VeriSign, there are a couple other of larger companies that still have large controls. Um, you know, 43% of all name server records, um, all GLTs, and 44% of those in the top 1 million uh, combined run by 14 domains. So 14 domain name servers. And any one of those could exert significant control over large chunks of the internet if they dropped off. So two examples are, of course, number one, GoDaddy, owner of DomainControl.com, as responsible for roughly 20% of all name server records in the GTLDs. And then the other one, which is critically important, last but not least, Cloudflare. They are responsible for another 20% of name server records, especially those in the top 1 million domains. But many, many people outsource the hosting of their name servers to Cloudflare. And so when you look at the IP addresses and who owns and manages them, Cloudflare is responsible for 40% of these name server records. So if Cloudflare has a hiccup, that's 40% of the internet that could go offline. Whoa. Yeah. <sighs> Some defenders yeah, would also point out that that's that also make you feel, Sean? 40% of a lot of illicit domains happen to go offline as well. True. It's, I'm not talking quality, I'm talking quantity. Hmm, interesting, interesting. But, you know, something like this could, you know, make you flare up. Hmm. Yes, I, I, you know, in fact, hmm. a, a good typo squat domain of that company would be could flare. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Checks Only Iris. could. Well, Sean, I have a final question for you here before we wrap up this article. So Jan mentioned his findings should not come as a surprise, but is this exercise something we should continually look at? If you were conducting this research, would you do anything differently? Uh, personally, I would not. 
the only thing I would try to do is, of course, get more zone file data, get all the information we can about CCTLDs and kind of see what the diversity is for those sets of domains. This, of course, is some data that Domain Tools does have some access to. So maybe it might be kind of fun to try and poke at this in the next year or two. Uh, maybe I should just reach out to Jan and say, hey, let's, let's try this again sometime. Uh, but honestly, the methodology is great. The overall presentation is great. Um, I love it. You heard it here first. Sean's a fan. Yep. He knows his stuff. High praise. Awesome. Well, let's, let's run into our hoodie rating here. And this is regarding, uh, let's say, your second to last point, Sean, in terms of the percent control of the internet, essentially the findings of the research. That's what the hoodie ratings are in reference to. So, Tim, we'll start with you. What would you rate this at? You know, in a way, this is kind of terrifying. <laughs> uh, and once again, just like when we were talking about NTP a while back, we hearken back to, this is a little bit different from the, the idea of there's this one open source project that one person in Nebraska is maintaining and the whole internet rests on it. It's not exactly the same as that, but it is still a concentration of risk that is, uh, that is kind of scary. So... Um, I would, I, I don't know. It's, it's not hoodies exactly because it's not criminal activity. It's, it's risk. So, uh, but I think, I guess I'll still put it on the hoodie scale cause it is a thing that's scary to us. Um, and I will say, oh, four actually the same, same number as John from before, but this time on the hoodie scale. It feels like about four hoodies. It's it's pretty scary, but I, it's hard to also predict how likely it is that one of these services will come, one or more of these services will like come crashing down. Ultimately, that depends on whether or not Hank hears this episode. By the way, stories that, that talk about the 13 root servers, it always makes me think of that, what I imagine is a very druid-like key ceremony that they have to hold, uh, key signing ceremony. It's every 10 years or whatever it is. I think, uh, those 13 root servers, those are located at Stonehenge, right? <laughs> we cannot confirm or deny their specific locations because that would have problems with the Druids doing their chants successfully for the key exchange. That's a really good don't, point. Don't worry. It's this whole process is rock solid. Ah, 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 ah. Wow, is that okay? Well, Sean, what would you put this at here? Uh, you know, it's it's challenging because you do have this consolidation of delivery of all of these name server uh, data out into the world, but it's also by large companies who invested significant time and resources to ensure it's stable and rock solid. So it's kind of this trade-off of you know dependability and reliability versus consolidation. Uh, I'm kind of with Tim. It's kind of a four or a five. Maybe I'll go to a five just to be a little more worried about it. But overall, DNS still seems to work pretty well, so I'm I'm happy it's able to resolve successfully. Ha! Well punned. <laughs> Excellent. Well, hey, Sean, thanks for walking us through that research. We're going to take one more break here before the final piece of our podcast, which, of course, is our game, Two Truths and a Lie. 
Stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back for our game, Two Truths and a Lie. This is going to be fun. Uh, a quick reminder to our listeners, one of us co-hosts in this game reads three article titles, three byline article titles, two of which are true, one of which is a lie. And the other two hosts try to discern which is the lie. And of course, there's a point system. Um, so that's that's the way the cookie crumbles. Are you ready, Tim and Sean? I'm up this week, actually, to share the three statements. I never feel ready. Yeah, I'll, I'll do the best I can. <laughs> They're so humble, that makes me worried. Okay, here we go. Article number one. Australian federal police take pig butchering suspects down, if you will, for stealing 100 million. Excuse me, let me do that again. <laughs> Australian federal police take pig butchering suspects down under for stealing 100 million. Next article. The U.S. Health Department wants to make sure your PII isn't a pawn. Warns of a royal ransomware targeting healthcare institutions. Article number three. Samsung, a new tune, rolls out end to end encryption for backs up. Four backups. Do you two have all those? Any ones you want me to restate? I think I've got them. I think I've got them, but I, I need to noodle on them. It's uh, the, uh, yeah. I have. I oh, have Tim, my, what do you think? I have my suspicions. I think that the third one is the lie for a reason that I will I can either give my reasoning now or after you've done your guess Sean I don't know like I guess I should you keep should, it to myself you, you let me guess first yeah, yeah. I, I'm I don't want you to influence the third my decision one. here yeah well so you know I know for a fact uh, about article number two and the royals wans ransomware um, I've heard about that recently for other people who are curious about the healthcare system. So I know that one's true. So now I have to think about Australian police and pig butchering versus Samsung and backups. So, so I will that's, say that's kind of challenging. Since you gave a little bit of info about the second one, I'll give I'll tell you, I don't know. We're, maybe we're helping each other here, but that's fine. Uh, no, no information that... sharing. That's what we do in InfoSec, Tim. <laughs> that's right. Um, How dare you? I know that the first one is either all true or it's one of these sneaky, like it's kind of true, but an important part of it was changed. And so I can't remember if it's actually Australia or if it's actually somebody else that did that takedown of a pig butchering scam, but I know that did happen. Or maybe it was the amount of, of you know, 
monetary uh, losses Get involved sneaky. with it that was, that was changed. But there's something, there is a kernel of truth for sure <laughs> in the first one. I just can't remember if it's the whole truth or not. But, but I have a, I, I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm sticking with three. Mm, well, I, I'm going to go with, with number one, just to be contrarian, just to see if, if Kelsey tried to sneak us with, with number or Australia or something. So I'm going to go there. All right, here it goes. Tim, you are correct. That was the lie. It was, in fact, Apple who rolled out end-to-end yes. encryption for backups, so which was a pretty big deal, I guess, story. because there was a lot of pushback on that, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I, it, yeah, there was, I mean, I it's should, an interesting... I should read the news more before I get on this. It's an interesting point. I mean, there's, because the, the argument against this is that now this can protect you know, potentially really bad things like child pornography and stuff that's on people's devices. And that is a problem. So I, you know, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't sound so happy about it. I just think for, I think people's privacy in general is so compromised online that steps like this that improve it are pretty important. So I, uh, you know, I think I think overall it's a good thing, um, but I am mindful that, of course, it does protect criminals as well as protecting innocent people. I just think there are more innocent people than there are criminals. Mm. Go ahead, John. Yeah, well said, Tim. Um, I I should have known that about Apple and and security. Like I I do consider myself a fan of Apple, and somehow I missed this in the past week. Ugh. Too much World Cup for me. Yeah, it was I guess. the uh, the sixteen dot two iOS sixteen dot two upgrade that did that. I'm pretty sure. Ah, gotcha. I'll take a look at that then. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Well, I believe that's all we have for the the podcast this week. I think, if I'm remembering right, I think we have one more that we'll record here before the end of the year. How crazy is that? It seems like it was just a year ago that we were saying the same thing about the end of 2021. Oh, that just reminds me of the old joke of when somebody asks when your birthday is, you just say, oh, about once a year. (laughs) (laughs) Which I feel like it would be a great, like, uh, response if you could, if it was um, a free form question, you know, for um, the security questions. When, when you're put in that situation, mm-hmm. like <laughs> once a year. If it's just said, when is your birthday rather than what's what's the date? Yeah, once a year. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Or if they answer, or likewise, if they said, what is your birthday? You could treat that as very philosophically. Mm. What is my birthday? <laughs> what does it mean to be born? What does it mean to exist? Oh, <laughs> Wow. You're just gonna send me Especially in like a metaphysical spiral here. Simulation. Oh, oh gosh, oh no, that's that's a concerning place to leave our our listeners. <laughs> Metaphys- metaphysical uncertainty. Metaphysical uncertainty. Yeah. Cue the exit music. Yep. Go ahead, roll it. All right, everybody, in all seriousness, thanks. Have a great week, and we'll be back next week for another episode of Breaking Badness. Bye-bye, y'all. Bye.
That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter, at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at DomainTools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Drinking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.